Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. If you're new here, So What Else is a place for sharing stories and experiences to help bring people together. Today, we have Tony Newhoff on the podcast. Tony is such an amazing person. She's been a pharmacist, an attorney, author, speaker, podcaster. She has so much wisdom and insight to share. Today, she shares with us about her book, Before You Split. It's a book about marriage where she uses her own personal knowledge from her over 30-year marriage to her husband, Carrie, plus her many years of experience as a divorce attorney. So in today's episode, we really dive into issues that a lot of marriages face. We process through whether to try to save your marriage or split, and we talk about strategies for reconciliation. If you're married in a long-term relationship, you hope to be married someday, I really encourage you to get her book. It's actually available on Audible. So why don't you hop on over to audibletrial.com slash SWE for a free month of Audible and a free audiobook. So you could be listening to Tony's book before you split for free today. So go to audibletrial.com slash SWE to sign up and you'll also be helping out the podcast. All right. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Tony, thank you so much for coming on So What Else? Hey, it is such a pleasure, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. Yes, I've been so excited to talk with you. You know, it's funny. We have mutual friends, the Birches. Yes. Yeah, small world. Yes, totally. North of Toronto. <laughs> right. It's so funny. Last week, so last week I had on um, Sheila and Keith Gregoire, who are from Canada, and I told them, I was like, I feel like I'm having, like, a Canadian moment in my life. I have, like, a few Canadian guests, like, in a row. This is, like, maybe it's a sign. <laughs> Hopefully a sign of good things. Right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I was like chatting with Rich Birch a few weeks ago on Voxer and we were just talking about podcast stuff and he was like, oh, like you should totally interview Tony. And I was like, well, yeah, like she would, she was like on my list of people to reach out to at some point, but I didn't want to like reach out too early before like my podcast had like been around long enough or whatever. And he was sure. like, oh, I'll connect you. And then like in two seconds there, we were connected. And I was like, yes. So I'm really <laughs> excited to get to talk to you. I've heard you on other podcasts. I've heard you on your podcast. So I'm mm. excited to get to chat with you today. Well, I'm excited too. It's mutual. And uh, we love Rich and Christine. Uh, They're the best. People and neighbors now. I know. <laughs> we got them. <laughs> I know. You guys got them back. It's uh, it's sad for us, but it's happy for you. And it's happy for them. Mm. <laughs> So before we jump in, why don't you give us um, just a quick little intro of who you are? Like, what do you do? Who are you? Sure. Uh, well, these days I'm an author and speaker and uh, podcaster, as you mentioned. Um, I do some mediation. In my former professional life, I've spent my time as a pharmacist and also as a lawyer. And I'm married to Carrie Newhoff. Uh, we've been married for 32 years and uh, we've got two sons who are now 26 and 30. Wow. <laughs> Can't even believe that my son turned 30 oh. on December 31st. So, oh, wow. <laughs> New Year's Eve, baby. Were you, when you yes. had him, were you guys kind of hoping for like, because isn't it like January 1st, you get like a prize if you're like the first baby or oh, whatever? Oh, yeah, there, there is that. No, actually, he was about a month, a little over a month early. Oh. So I was pregnant in law school. So Carrie and I were married during law school. Okay. And um uh, and we planned this pregnancy um to uh so that my son would be born a month after I was finished my final exams, but oh. actually he came far too early. So I didn't really have things ready. I went from uh, having my final exam to Christmas to, oh my goodness, here we go. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's crazy. And that was your first baby. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. oh, what a wild introduction into motherhood. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh my goodness. I'm sure that's a story for another day. That's, <laughs> oh, God bless. Well, that's amazing. So, I mean, seriously, you you just named like a thousand things. Like you were a pharmacist, an attorney, a podcaster, like just mm -hmm. a speaker, an author, like very few people can list off that many things that they have done in their career. So <laughs> bravo to you for real. It's a little, a little bit schizophrenic. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's amazing. You're gifted in a lot of areas. I love that. So today, I'm really excited to talk to you about your book. It's called Before You Split. Um, I've heard you discuss it before. I've read it. It's an amazing book. And I know that you wrote it because, like you said, you know, you've been married 32 years. And I know that you guys have had just 32 years of perfect bliss with no issues. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, Caitlin. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm in the position where I wish I'd had my book 25 years ago I bet. Or, or maybe 30 years ago would have been better, but yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we, we went through a long, rough season in our marriage. And, and as you know, if you've read my book, uh, you got some of the, oh, some of the scary details. Totally. I love like your book is so amazing because it combines your personal experience in your marriage in addition to what you've seen as a divorce attorney. So it's like you get both angles of that. You know, you're not only speaking from your own experience, but you're also not only speaking from what you've seen professionally. It's both of those things. Like we together, which I think just makes it really, really powerful. So I would love to start with you kind of like sharing with us a little bit about your marriage to Carrie and talk just a little bit about some of that stuff you shared in your book about some of the darker times and kind of where you guys were at and things like that. Carrie and I went, you know, from a busy season at law school to Carrie going into seminary. And then partway through seminary, we moved north of Toronto and he started to pastor three small churches while he was still in seminary, while I was working as a pharmacist. And and actually, we found out we were pregnant literally the day after we made the move from Toronto to where we live now. Uh, And um, so all of this, you know, we, we hit the ground running in our relationship and it really didn't stop literally. So while he was pastoring the three small churches, he was also in seminary um, three or four days a week. Then when he was home pastoring these churches, so we were busy and we both uh, tend to have strong opinions. Um, I don't think law school helped us personally. Mm -hmm. It helped us professionally, but personally, I think we got into this dynamic of really trying to persuade the other person to our own perspective. And I would say, and I, I think Carrie would probably agree with this. We also went into our marriages a little naive about what ministry would actually entail. Mm -hmm. And I was a relatively newer Christian. I've accepted Christ uh, before I went to law school, but just before. Okay. Yeah. So like as an adult. As an adult. Right. And so I was really literally figuring out what it meant to be a Christian and helping with church leadership at the same time. Yeah. And we were absolutely passionate about living out our calling and um, serving these churches well. Um, But I I think we both went into our marriage with the tunnel vision of, of just living by that misguided belief that my view of the world is the right one or the better one. And uh, and that can lead to a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. And so what started out as differences of opinion led to tension, led to a, 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 a deepening, oh, just conflict that really led to despair. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed to always simmer under the surface. So we've we've joked about it being the 10-year argument, mm-hmm. but, but literally it was that kind of tension that was always simmering under the surface and it didn't take that much to have it erupt again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with the pace of our lives and our young family, and um, I was volunteering in different capacities at the church, not just one capacity, but really several roles. And Carrie was leading. Um, Our lives were full enough that we just didn't go there. We, We would try sometimes to interrupt this dynamic that we were in, but we never really dedicated enough time and enough effort to make the progress that we really needed to to make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things were happening in our lives. There were some really great things happening at the church. And so we we went along that way. Um, but it didn't lead us in a positive direction as mm-hmm. far as growing in intimacy. And that's what we really needed. 
Yeah. I mean, ministry can be really hard on a couple if that's the only that that sometimes is the only factor that could be hard. But you guys had so much going on. Like like you said, the fact that you weren't even necessarily raised in this type of environment. So you were learning like how this whole like Christian church culture is while your husband's the pastor, you're leading in a lot of capacities while also you're a mom, you're working, like you're, there's a lot of layers there. And mm-hmm. um, just your husband still being in seminary and pastoring and just all of that, that's enough to set anybody on a bad mm-hmm. on a bad path for sure. I really resonated with what you said about how you felt like when you guys would argue, you felt like your way was like the right way. Mm-hmm. I struggle, so I struggle so much with that. I'm a one on the Enneagram. And so like for oh, me, yes. <laughs> what number are you? <laughs> I was five. Okay. Okay. So, but you understand like what I'm talking about. Cause like, you know, I totally understand. It's like, sometimes like my husband and I, if it's a dumb argument, like about the dishwasher, like how you load it for me, (laughs) it becomes about like, it does matter because there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And everybody knows that you don't press start on the dishwasher when there's only four dishes in there. Everybody knows that. Like I am right. Like you are wasting water. You're wrong. You know? And it's like, it's a moral thing, you know, like for me, it's like you are morally incorrect in this moment and we have to get to the root of this, you know? So I will die on those hills and I'm willing to own that that's a problem and that's on me. (laughs) So I know that, um, I've heard you, I think maybe it was your husband on on an interview with the two of you possibly. I remember him sharing a story of being at, I think it was like the launch of one of your churches or something like that. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like celebrating. It was this like happy day. It was like a big deal for him. And you were sitting in the front row in tears and not tears Mm -hmm. of joy, like Mm -hmm. tears of despair. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of bring us into that and like what kind of stuff was going on with you? Sure. Well, Going back to that um, cycle of conflict and the 10-year argument, we were still in that season um, during a time where, um, as I mentioned, great things were happening with our church. It Mm -hmm. was growing. We needed more space. And so we had gone through a building campaign. And it had been a particularly taxing season for Carrie's um, schedule to pull mm-hmm. all of that together. I would think at that stage, it's not a stretch to say he was probably working 80 to 90 hours. A week. And so now this, that was definitely a shorter period of time, but that's what landed me in the front row of the church in tears because all I could think of was great. We got a building and I lost a husband oh, and yeah. I can still get emotional thinking about that because it was tough. It was rough. And at that point, I I really didn't have a community around me that I felt I could share that with. Uh, fortunately, I was in counseling by that point. So it's okay. not as if I was completely isolated. Right. Um, but it was it was a a rough period. Yeah. What do you think stopped you guys from getting a divorce? Why did you stay together? By the grace of God. Mm -hmm. uh, Literally, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize this, but when we were married, we didn't realize how much we would need one of the verses that we chose as the the foundation for our wedding ceremony, which was uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 12. Uh, it's, it says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And the interpretation that, that we took from that was that Carrie and I were two of the strands of the cord that were being uni- united in our wedding ceremony, mm-hmm. that we were being joined as one flesh, but that Jesus was the third strand in that cord. And uh, there were times in that rough season of marriage where both of us would agree that it was Jesus. It was our faith in Jesus and our ability to just take all that grief and lean into that relationship that carried us through when I didn't know if we were going to make it or how we were going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, It got that low, Um, but Yes, it was our, it was our faith in Jesus that carried us through that lowest of lows. 
Mm -hmm. I know in your book, you talk about the difference between surviving and saving in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Would you kind of talk to us, like, what is the difference there? And did you feel like you were kind of in just survival mode for a while in your marriage? Absolutely. I was definitely in survival mode, Mm -hmm. but it was survival for a purpose. Yeah. So when I think back to the way I felt, you know, around that time when I was sitting in the front pew in tears, Mm -hmm. uh, I wondered whether I had just signed up for a lifetime of misery Mm. or whether it would ever be possible for me to be in love with Carrie again, Mm. because by that point we had been through enough rounds of conflict, Mm -hmm. countless rounds of conflict that there was resentment, there was bitterness, there was even contempt at that stage in our our marriage. Mm. And so I was in the ambivalent place of wondering, what is the future of our marriage? Mm -hmm. And and overall, there really are three options when you're in that ambivalent stage about your marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, You either split, you survive, or you save. Mm -hmm. So splitting is obvious. But surviving, I I define as that state of staying together in your relationship, but feeling disconnected. Mm -hmm. So it's that emotional disconnection that gives rise to that feeling that you're, you know, that your relationship isn't all that it could be Mm -hmm. or all that it's intended to be. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an element missing and there definitely is an element missing if you don't have that emotional closeness or that feeling that your spouse has your back Mm -hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Um, when you have a lot of grievances, then you don't have that level of trust typically. Mm-hmm. So surviving was something that we did do for a season while we we were definitely experiencing the stress and the grief of our relationship not being what we wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but also realizing that there was so much at stake. Yeah, we had so much at stake if we walked away, mm-hmm. and I, I honestly did want our marriage to work. So f- finally, I reached the place where I realized that it wasn't that I didn't want to be married to Carrie; it was that I wanted this painful version of our marriage to be gone. Yeah, and to have a a, a better version. Yeah. So. Quickly, before we get into some more things, I want to just take a moment to clarify for people that in the beginning of your book, I thought that you made a beautiful distinction between an unhealthy marriage and a harmful marriage. So I do want to, before we get into, you know, more of the content of your book of like ways that you can obviously save your marriage, to stop and just kind of take a moment to kind of call out to people the difference between an unhealthy marriage and a harmful one. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you raised that here, Caitlin, because I always like to talk about this when I'm talking about marriage and mm-hmm. saving marriage in particular, um, because I've seen, and I'm, I'm, I would imagine most of your listeners have also seen a marriage that is harmful. Yeah. So there's, there's toxic or destructive behavior going on and um, where that's the case I would be the first first one to say, I want you to get to a place of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want you to stay in a situation where you're actively being harmed. Uh, and, you know, that can, that getting away or breaking up the dynamic in a harmful marriage can happen in a couple of ways. Um, often it's through a divorce Sometimes um, couples find that if they separate their residences and live in separate places so that each one can work on healing, Mm -hmm. then it may be possible to come back together again. But in the short term, what needs to happen is just that this dynamic is interrupted and that there's no more harm. Yeah, absolutely. On the the other hand, for a couple like Carrie and I, um, sure, there was resentment, bitterness, contempt. Could we have said at that stage that, you know, we were emotionally abusive to each other? Well, I mean, you know, when things get heated, sometimes you say things you don't mean to say and do things you don't mean to do. So could that have been true? Sure. Yes. Um, But it was mutual. Yeah. And it was contained. 
And I would say, you know, the dynamics between us were unhealthy. They weren't harmful. Right. Sometimes that distinction is very hard to draw. And so if there's anyone listening right now who's wondering whether their relationship is, is unhealthy or whether it's harmful, I would just so strongly encourage you to go and talk to a pastor, a doctor, your, your therapist or counselor, a wise mentor, just someone who you can be completely honest with. And, and divulge all the details of why you have that question and then follow their advice yeah. Uh, or at least go on and seek a second opinion and, you know, get some opinions from people close to you. Um, because if you're in a harmful situation, I do want you to plan for your safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that absolutely is so important because I, you know, I, I think I heard you say in an interview one time that, you know, in a perfect world, would all marriages be saved? Like, and everyone would stay together and no one would ever get divorced? Yeah, sure. But this is not a perfect world. And certainly in situations where someone is being harmed, where someone is in danger, that would be a situation where, you know, divorce might be necessary. Mm-hmm. But in other types of situations where maybe there's just some unhealthy dynamics going on where, there's arguing, there's, like you said, like you even felt at a time where you were like, I don't even know if I could ever be in love with Carrie again. If that's the place that you are in, your book, it does a beautiful job of talking about how you can work on it, how you can work through it, how you can heal. And a huge thing that you talked about in your book is working through our own personal mud, you call it, and Mm -hmm. how we really have to be willing to like unpack that and work through that. Can you kind of talk to me about that? Sure. Yeah. By mud, I'm really referring to uh, the wounds or um, maybe hidden lies, um, unrevealed beliefs, you know, self-limiting beliefs uh, that just linger in those dark places. Um, I think both of us entered our marriage not really having any idea that there were impacts from trauma from our childhood years that we had carried into our marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why I like the analogy of mud. You know, if, you, yeah. if you've been in a tough mudder race, you know, and you've had mud, uh, you know, covering your body, then you know that when you try to clean that mud away from the seams of your clothing, like, you know, overall it can look okay, but that mud can be very hard to remove from the, the hidden inner seams. Totally. And I think it's similar with um, the effects of trauma that become embedded, um, maybe embedded in some of the ways that you process some of the the conclusions that your brain will draw, even if that doesn't line up with an an objective reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So becoming aware of where those wounds might be showing up and impacting your relationship is just such a critical thing and something that really was not on our radar screen until we were well into that very rough period of our marriage. Uh, and it took not only our own um, self-reflection and, you know, bringing, uh, bringing ourselves humbly before Jesus and asking for insight, asking for the light of his word to illuminate whatever that darkness is, and also seeking Christian counseling, um, going to counseling together. It, it took quite a lot of effort and time and reflection and prayer to fully surface uh, mm-hmm. this mud <laughs> that mm-hmm. was really sullying our marriage. Um, mm-hmm. But that process really has proven to be invaluable because the transformation in our marriage is um, is like night and day, literally. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more that we just, I don't know, it's just so easy in life to feel like you can just kind of like suck it up and deal with like whatever your mud is, whatever your junk is, you know, and like you're totally fine. But it comes out in ways that you don't even recognize. And even for me, just like more recently, as I've done some more self-reflection through just like therapy and like Enneagram work and things like that, learning so much about how like my, I have a very loud like inner critic, you know, so I criticize Mm -hmm. myself a lot. It's like a, it's a hard, you know, it's something that I work on in myself, but I've noticed that I'm, when I've had a day where I'm criticizing myself a lot, Mm 
I'm very quick to snap at Scott for anything that he might say. Like if he literally is just like, oh, did you see that Emerson got sauce on her shirt or what? You know what I mean? Then I'm like, well, why don't you clean it up? Like, cause I, and I snap because I've been having that negative conversation with myself all day. Right. right. Like that's So it's spilling out into my marriage, but that's an issue with me. That's like a me thing that I need to work on in myself you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not really that it's like, oh, that's, you know, something that you and Scott need to work on. Sure. But really that's like something, that's like a self-reflecting thing that has to go on within me yes. so as not to impact my marriage negatively. Absolutely. And and I, I found similar examples with us where our our trauma was just leaking out. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it often comes out in disguise. So there was a time when Carrie and I um, were, you know, in that season of conflict and he was working long hours and I was, uh, I was in blame mode, literally Mm -hmm. that, you know, I am, I'm so exhausted because you aren't home enough and you aren't doing this and you aren't doing that. And it's, it was all you, you, you. And it was only after a period of counseling where I recognized that what I was boiling down to a, you know, a, a single cause or a single person at fault really was multi-dimensional, and it was more complex than, than I was willing to admit. Mm-hmm. And some of that exhaustion was actually there because I wasn't emotionally healthy. It was, um, it was connected with this, you know, hidden lie that I, I was living by. Uh, where that lie was, I'm better off alone. And of course, there couldn't be anything farther from the truth, but I didn't realize how much that hidden inner belief was driving my behaviors, my approach to friendships, my approach to my marriage. And so it had spillover effects. So some of that exhaustion was actually being caused by my own lack of connectedness, you know, lack of intimacy, both in my marriage, but also with um, friendships that are close and authentic. I I didn't have them at that point. So, um, so it's so important to get underneath whatever the impacts of that trauma is, because otherwise, you're, you're going to look at your spouse and your spouse is the only other person there that you're mm-hmm. struggling with in your marriage. But the, the human tendency is to try to assign the blame for the stress that you're feeling to totally. that other person. When in reality, it's a more complex picture that you probably have more involvement in than you realize. Absolutely. And if you don't deal with your own stuff, if you get divorced, you're still with you. Like you're still going to be dealing with your stuff, you know, whether you're single, divorced, married, you get remarried, like whatever, like this stuff is still going to come up because it's inside of you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So what about, um, something that I've heard a lot, I think is that people are really concerned about their children, right? If they're in a marriage and they're like, okay, it's not harmful, it's not dangerous, but it's really unhealthy. Like we fight a lot in front of the kids. We, you know, they they clearly know that there's a ton of tension. It's definitely spilling over onto them. So this is not healthy for them. We need to get a divorce so that the kids don't have parents that are fighting. What mm-hmm. is your like opinion on that kind of a mindset? It's so hard uh, when you're in a cycle of conflict and you're really concerned about your kids. I I think every single client I had who was a parent uh, would spend some time awake at night wondering if their kids were going to be okay. And that was the, the top of their mind. It was their primary concern over finances over whatever happens with the stuff, what happens with the house. They were really concerned about their kids. Yeah. And, uh, and I know like when Carrie and I were in our rough season, I was concerned about the impacts on, on our kids too. So I I can totally identify with that, um, that deep seated concern. What what I would say is that um, I, I walked through the process with my clients and saw how what transpired for their kids <clears throat> wasn't exactly what they thought. It didn't unroll the way they thought it would. And when you think that you're going through a divorce for the sake of your kids, I think the reality is that your kids go through the divorce too. It is mm. also their divorce. And kids struggle to 
come to terms with it, um, to not blame themselves over it, um, to grieve and know what to do with their grief. And um, they struggle with loyalty conflicts. And so I guess all of that to say that, you know, I, I saw parents go through the process and for the sake of their kids, they ended up having to go to counseling. Like I was and the other uh, party's lawyer um, were telling both of them that they needed to go to the counseling for the sake of their kids so they could figure out how to co-parent together uh, while they were struggling and while they were separating and trying to deal and trying to negotiate all their issues. So all that to say that if, you know, and people really struggle with going to counseling together after they've separated because they've already decided that they're not going to invest in this relationship. So investing in it seems really counterintuitive and painful. And, And so if you're in the place where you're really concerned about your kids, I would say, do that counseling now. Like go now and figure out what you need to do in the short term to bring more peace to your kids. Because the reality is your kids only have one childhood and the time for peace is now. The time for peace is now. It's not later. And it could be that in the course of just figuring out and digging down and facing the personal pain of growth um, that your counseling will probably require now could it be that you'll find that you turn a corner in your relationship, that you find that you disrupt the the status quo and you get back to what you were planning in the first place when you got married, you never planned to end up in a, in a struggling place. You planned, you had dreams and desires, and there's a reason that you fell in love with each other and, and got married. So could it be that in the process of just figuring out how to protect your kids from conflict that you may be able to turn a corner in your relationship. I think that that's so good about the kids though, because it does, you can understand how someone, right, who's in like a a marriage where there's heavy conflict, they're not getting along. They feel like this is bad for my kids. So obviously we just need to end it so that this ends for our kids. But I think that your point, which is so good, is like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to end for your kids. It actually for sure isn't going to end for your kids because now they're dealing with parents who live apart and they struggle with like favoritism and moving and they're, they live in a different place half the time and friends that like, so, okay, that's not necessarily a solution, right? Like if you are having conflict in your home, getting a divorce is not necessarily promising that your kids are going to be in a better environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, just going back to our earlier conversation, if it's a harmful marriage, right? In those cases, the kids may end up being better off. Absolutely. Um, but in many cases where it's an unhealthy relationship and and there's there are deep relationship struggles, um, the the reality for your kids is that they're they're going to go through that pain. And yeah, sometimes it's really hard to sort out. Uh, how much time the kids are going to spend with one parent versus the other. And, um, and, and that ends up leaving the kids sometimes feeling like they're in the middle, like they're having to make a choice. Um, If the kids are teenagers, they may very well be asked to make a choice. Yeah. Uh, And so all of this uh, sets up a struggle for your kids um, where the kids, the rea- reality for your kids is that they need both of you. Yeah. And, and I think a tendency for parents who are divorcing each other is that, you know, that animosity that they may be feeling toward each other really spills over. Um, they end up venting to their kids yeah. about what's happening with the divorce, even when they, they don't mean to, but it's just so painful and so immediate. Or you're all in the same quarters and the, and the kids kids are smart. Totally. Going on. Um, and so it's um it, it takes a lot of intentionality to go through that process and protect your kids so that they can still be kids. Yeah. 
And, and so it, I'm just recognizing that it's hard. And there were some parents who came back to me after they walked through this process and, and said, I remember one man in particular who looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, if only I'd known then what I know now, oh. I, I would have worked harder to save my marriage because he'd seen the impact it had on his three kids. Uh, he'd had a, a three-year struggle to work through the divorce process. And it was, it didn't look anything like the way he had imagined it when they, he started out with the divorce process. Right. That's hard. Yeah. It's so much to consider. Um, I saw a recent blog post that you wrote called Three Things to Consider Before Giving Up on Your Spouse. And I just thought there was so much good stuff in there. Your first point was your victim story will blind you. Can you kind of tell us like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I don't think I had a single client who, who didn't have a story for me about how their spouse was mainly to blame yeah. for all of their grief and all of their struggles. And it's just an, a natural human tendency. And I, I talked about this, that was my blinded perspective too. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is when, when you're thinking if, if only he would start doing this thing that yeah. I'm going to do, or if only she would stop, you know, doing this one thing, then things would be so much better. Um, I think that's like putting on victim story glasses. Yeah. So it's like putting on a pair of prescription glasses that are not right for you. And all you can see are blurry outlines. Mm-hmm. And, and that blame perspective, I think, is that is that blurriness that shuts out the nuances, the complexities, and your own part. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. say, ditch the victim story, take off the victim story glasses mm-hmm. so that you can see more clearly what your own role is. I think that when you're struggling, what what you really need to do is deli- deliberately turn your focus away from whatever you think your spouse is doing to wrong you or to, to make things worse. And instead, try to focus in on what is it that I'm bringing to this struggle, this problem, challenge. What am I doing? Can I trace out my part? Mm -hmm. And even if you're in a place where you honestly believe that 90% of the blame rests with your spouse, well, even being able to admit that it isn't 100% your spouse's fault means that there is some percentage that you need to own. So I don't even care about the numbers. I would say the best thing that you can do not only for your marriage, but even just for your own personal growth so that you can grow into a more loving version of yourself Mm -hmm. is to really double down on what is that part that I can own and work on having the humility, um, having the tenacity to face whatever your own role is and fully own it. Like own it even to the extent where you can get vulnerable and real with your spouse and come to them with an authentic apology Yeah, about what your part is. Uh, you have no idea what influence that would have if you haven't tried it before. Yeah, totally. That's so huge. I mean, and that's huge in any relationship outside of a marriage. You know what I mean? Like any relationship, if we constantly are like, I'm the victim, it's them, it's all that, you know, you're never, Mm -hmm. you you won't be able to have successful relationships in your life like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Um, Your next point was you may be listening to the wrong messages. Mm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, the the voices that are, are around us makes such a huge difference. Yeah. There's research that shows that the divorce rate is actually higher in a circle of friends where people are divorced. Oh. And and I'm not highlighting that to say don't have divorced friends. That is not my message by any means. It's just an awareness that we influence each other. And you know, they say that if you sit in the same room and have a conversation with someone, if it's a lengthy conversation, your brainwaves start to align. We, we actually have an impact on each other beyond what we can see on the surface. And so it may be overt or it may be subtle, but you really need to consider the messages that you're hearing 
from other people around you and from your community on the whole. And if it's a struggling season of marriage, but you still are holding out hope for your marriage, it's just so very important to make sure that you are leaning into some voices that are supportive. Mm -hmm. um, that are objective and that you're not surrounded, um, solely by, let's say friends who will always just go along with what you're saying. So, you know, let's say I'm struggling and I'm venting mm -hmm. and I vent and I vent and I vent. And all I hear is, you know, this guy's a loser. Yeah. <laughs> like this is it. You, you might totally. well leave. I, I think it's so helpful to have, um, have voices around you that will say things like what a, a couple who are friends of ours, good long-term friends of ours said when we were in our rough season, you know, they would say things like, uh, wow, you know, I hear you. This is such a struggle. Um, but I believe in you guys. Like I believe that right. you can find a way through this and let's pray about it. And, and they would pray with us and they were a, a voice of encouragement and, and they would try to bring some more objectivity into the conversation. You know, if I was going off on my negative tangent, uh, it helps to have somebody who will gently push back in love, gently Absolutely. but firmly. Yeah, absolutely. You you got into that a lot in like chapter 11 of the book as well. Just talking about your friends. Your friends are important, right? And of course, yes. Do you want your friends to like feel like safe and supportive people that understand you? 100%. But you want them to be able to hear, like if you have like a grievance about your husband, you want them to be able to receive that and be like, I totally understand why you feel that way. But for them to then encourage you to Go to your husband to work on it, to talk about it, to pray with you, mm -hmm. to help you maybe get into therapy or counseling, like whatever. You don't want them to just be like, yeah, like he's the worst. Like, you know, because it's just yes. like, that's not really helping, <laughs> you no, know? No, it's not. It's it's sort of like saying what my itching ears want to hear. And, totally. You know, that that's, that's where your emotions can lead you in the wrong yeah. direction. Yes, absolutely. Um, we touched on this a little, but I did feel like your final point in that blog point was so, that blog post was so important. You said you won't feel the costs of leaving until you've already left. Mm. That is like so heavy. Would you go into that a little bit? Yes. I learned this through the eyes of my clients when uh, we went through the process. And at the beginning, uh, I would hear something like, well, we've talked about this and we've decided that the kids are going to live with me and they're going to live with him on the weekends and uh, I'm going to live here and he's going to live there. So we pretty much got this sorted out. We just need to finalize it. And then as we would go through the process, the reality was that, yes, they'd had conversations before the date of separation, but the date of separation itself, the reality of it brings a new day. So once that happens, uh, one person who originally might have said, sure, you know, you can have the kids. It might have even just been in a moment of frustration where they just want to get the other person off their back and they'll totally. say whatever to stop the conversation at the time. Yeah. They they have some time to reflect on what they really want. And of course, they love their kids. They want to spend time with their kids. Yeah. And so then uh, people end up in, in a, ba a battle over parenting time that they didn't expect to be in. Yeah. They thought they went into it thinking, I'm going to have most of the time with my kids. And they come out the other side, especially where we live in Ontario, with a 50-50 arrangement. And it was, the reality ended up being harder than they anticipated. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And my heart goes out to anyone who's walking through this right now. I don't say these things lightly. Right. I, I just say them because I want people to go into a process with their eyes open. Like if yeah. you, I, I really want people to see more clearly what the reality is um, before taking a step. And I, I just encourage people to go slow. If you're thinking that, you know, maybe... I'm not going to be able to make my marriage survive to the point where I can save it. Um, really dig into that surviving season um, because even if it ends up not working, you will be able to satisfy yourself that you did whatever you could. 
you didn't leave any stones unturned and you didn't walk out before you'd already dealt with whatever your role was. And you'd done the hard, hard work of looking inward and owning your own junk and working through your mud. Um, because you know, that can, that can change things. It can change you. It can change the dynamics. It can change your relationship. So yeah, the thing is, you don't know the costs of leaving until that reality is there. And both of you may find that you change your minds once Mm -hmm. the day of separation hits. Yeah, absolutely. I do know you pointed that out in the book that, you know, a lot of times like you might go into a divorce type of situation and think like, look, for us, it's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. We agree about this. We don't have a ton of money, so it's not that big of a deal or whatever. And people kind of talk themselves into a place of like, ours isn't going to be that bad. And like, it's pretty much always going to be harder than you probably anticipated being. And it's not going to come out in the end looking exactly the way that you pictured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's true, Caitlin. Yeah. It's just so important just for people, like you said, just to be aware of what they might be stepping into, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've obviously talked about this throughout the entire interview, but just to end on this note of, so how can we save our marriages, right? Like if somebody mm-hmm. is listening to this and they're like, okay, but like today I literally hate my husband. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I cannot do this one more day. I feel like I've tried. He feels like he's tried. This is not working. I can't do this. Like I hear what you're saying that divorce is really hard and blah, blah, blah. But trust me, my marriage is like misery. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Mm-hmm. Well, I've been in that place. And even though it may feel impossible to stay and to work things through, um, it, there, I, I know I've heard not only our story, but I've heard from, from other couples who really struggled, you know, that deeply, who hung on and they committed to doing the work. And over time, step by step, day by day, they actually rebuilt their connection. Mm. So, um, you know, there's a, a, a story I know from a, a friend of mine who really encouraged one of his coworkers to go and try some counseling. And his um, immediate objection was, no, I, I've gone to counseling. Um, well, how many times did you go? Well, I went once. Right. But they ganged up on me and uh, I was so pissed off. I left and I'm not going back. I'm not going back so I can be ganged up on. Well, uh, his friend said, you know, get a grip, go back to counseling, go back on your own if you have to just go individually, but go yeah. to counseling and figure it figure out what you're bringing to this marriage conflict, what your own role is. And um, long story short, that counseling, you know, process took them maybe five years, mm-hmm. but in five years, they had a completely transformed marriage. Mm. And he went, his friend went around telling everyone how, how this friend of mine, um, Chris had saved his marriage. <laughs> wow. Oh, <laughs> of course I changed the name, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and would tell anyone and everyone that uh, he saved his marriage. Yeah. So making sure that you don't just give counseling a cursory try um, yes. because most people who I helped in my law practice said that they went to counseling. But when I asked them to, to, you know, what did that counseling process look like? It became clear that it was that they went once or twice and that was it. That was their try. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the chemistry that you have with the counselor you try the first time just doesn't work out. Yeah. Or maybe this isn't the, the dynamic doesn't work between the three of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then check with your friends, check with your circle, get a reference and try someone else. Totally. Um, Because it is worthwhile to commit to a course of counseling, you know, Mm -hmm. not just one or two sessions. Absolutely. And and then as far as other things, you know, I I think um, I go through sort of an overview of all the different ways, all the different mm-hmm. areas where Carrie and I found solutions. Yeah. So it was trying to get underneath our, our wounds that we brought into our marriage, um, dealing with expectations, mm-hmm. you know, are what expectations did you bring into your marriage and how are unrealistic expectations tripping you up? 
Yeah. Um, what about peacemaking? Do you need to learn some peacemaking skills? Mm-hmm. How about handling each other's emotions? You know, how how do you typically respond to your spouse's emotions? Mm-hmm. Because that response, if it involves invalidating them, denying mm-hmm. them, avoiding them, skipping over them. I made all those mistakes. Totally. <laughs> it doesn't create an atmosphere of emotional safety. Mm-hmm. And then how about trust? You know, are there forgiveness issues between the two of you? Um, do you need to do something to break out of the monotony? You know, is yeah. it just boring? Have you lost touch with fun? Have you yeah. lost touch with time alone together? And then what does your community look like? You know, because I believe that none of us are de- designed to live in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I, I think these days the risk is that we put too much weight on our spouse. Mm-hmm. We can unload the burden for all of my life's happiness on my mm-hmm. spouse, but it's mm-hmm. not healthy. It's not designed how we're, it's not how we're designed to live. You know, we're yeah. designed to live in a community and just like it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to raise a marriage. Yeah. So how connected are you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Tony, if people are feeling like, okay, but my marriage like has no fun, like we have no intimacy, like how can they start to incorporate that back into their relationship? Mm-hmm. It's easier said than done. If you're really struggling, like if you're in a place where you feel like I just can't even stand being in the same room together, yeah. then that's a tough place. I personally know a couple who were in that place and they were facing the possibility of divorce, but they decided as a last ditch effort that they would just try to do something together once a week. Mm-hmm. And they they decided they were going to watch a particular show that they were both interested in once a week. And they would mm-hmm. just sit there side to side and watch that show. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, uh, they managed to put their relationship back together. But mm-hmm. it, it literally did start with them trying to do something enjoyable, even though they were kind of doing it side by side. Yeah. It didn't require a high level of engagement, mm-hmm. but it got the ball, ball rolling. Yeah. And for a couple who maybe are not in that place, but they're just bored and they feel like, you know, we do the same thing over and over. We go on date nights, but they, they all seem like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, yep. There's research that shows that you can really add um, more satisfaction and even excitement to your marriage by trying something that is novel, that's new or exciting for both of you. And I don't mean adrenaline producing. It doesn't have to be right. expensive. It doesn't have to be bungee jumping or you right. know <laughs> jumping out of a helicopter. Although if you want to do that, then great. <laughs> By all Um, means, uh, you can just start by each of you writing a list of like maybe five, 10, 20 things that you'd be interested in doing. It could be anything from, you know, let's take a picnic to the beach. Uh, Let's go explore this town that we haven't been to before. Mm -hmm. Let's go antique shopping at this place, go to a museum. Let's like try cycling together, just Mm -hmm. whatever. You know, there's countless things that you can try, but something that's new and interesting for both of you. Yeah. Um, There's a study that, that showed that couples who did an hour and a half of this activity that was new or exciting for four weeks in a row. And they might've been different activities. It might've been a different activity every week. Um, After the four weeks, they were more satisfied with their relationship and they were more excited about it as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it can actually help improve things in the, in the, you know, feeling more passionate about your relationship department. So that's, uh, those are a couple of ways to just, Uh, try to change the status quo and add more fun. Uh, I think the other thing is uh, I've alluded to before about just being safe for each other's emotions. Mm -hmm. If you, um, if your spouse is venting about something uh, and you try to make things better by, um, you know, trying to minimize their emotions or tell them it's not that bad or jump right into uh, solutions, you know, yep. how can we solve this problem? It doesn't, it, it doesn't help your feeling of closeness or your feeling of yeah. being bonded and being on the same page. A better response is to just, just connect with your spouse in that emotion. Like, mm-hmm. wow, I would be frustrated about that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, that must've been terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and just, you know, even like, 
imagine what it was like for your spouse to be in that emotion yeah. uh, and, and sit with them for a minute. Mm-hmm. If you can connect emotionally with your spouse's emotions in the mm-hmm. moment, you might think that it's actually going to cause them to escalate. Actually, it typically has the opposite effect. It causes mm-hmm. them to calm down and to also feel like there is someone else in this world who gets me. Yeah. Like, ah, what a relief. We're designed to be connected. And so even just making that intentional effort to be emotionally safe and connected with your spouse uh, can make a big difference. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, Those are amazing tips. I think that that's just so practical and helpful. Thank you so much. I just think that there's so much good stuff in the book. Obviously, you go into it in so much detail. I would just encourage anybody who's listening to this to get it. I just think that it's so encouraging to people to hear the story of you and Carrie or even that couple that you just mentioned where like your marriage can be in a really, really, really bad place and it can be restored. It is possible. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. It's not easy, but Mm -hmm. divorce also isn't easy, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like you have two challenging choices in front of you. Let's, you know, push into restoration and healing because it absolutely is possible. And I think that that's just so hugely encouraging to so many people. Mm. Well, I'm, it was a hard story to share. Yeah. Caitlin, Uh, sometimes I felt like I was, you know, exposed (laughs) walking down the middle of the street, no clothes on, um, bearing the stories of how it was in our marriage. Um, but because we've had such a dramatic turnaround, um, and because there were some solutions that we discovered along the way, mm-hmm. uh, I, I really felt like I needed to push through the, the personal pain and discomfort of, um, being open, uh, just for the sake of another couple who might be in the place where Carrie and I had been, where we struggled so deeply. Absolutely. Um, we, we had no idea back then the richness and the beauty of what we would have thrown away if we had not persevered. Yeah. I just, I mean, I thank you on behalf of anybody who has read your book that you were willing to be vulnerable and share your own personal story. That And it was uncomfortable for you to share it, but that's what makes a difference. I think that people just sharing their stories, no matter what your story is, it will touch somebody else. And that's, you know, why I have this podcast, right? For people to share their story um, because people are touched and changed by other people's stories all the time. And I think that we, God uses our stories to help other people. So I am thankful that you took that risk to share about your marriage and you've helped so many people and I know you'll help so many more. Can you tell everybody where can we find you? Like, where are you on social media? Where can we get your book? Mm. So on social media, I'm just there under my name. Now it's not the easiest name to spell. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make sure to have it spelled correctly in the episode title, everyone. So you can go there. You can go there for the spelling. It's funny. There's way too many vowels. So but many. Anyway, I mean, I'm on Instagram at Tony Newhoff. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a couple of profiles on Facebook, but one is Tony Karskis Newhoff. One is Tony Newhoff. And um, and then I have my website is Tony Newhoff. So uh, easy. So there's no trick there. Just my so name. You are easy to find. And you are also the mm-hmm. co-host of the Smart Family Podcast. Tell us about that really quickly. Oh, yes. Well, my co-host, Rob Meter, is a pediatrician. Yes. And he's seen a lot of pain in families and what they're dealing with. I've, of course, seen a lot of of pain with um, my divorce clients. Right. And so we decided to team up and provide resources for uh, for families, for parents of young kids uh, so that they can love being home. Yeah. I love it. I think that, and just a plug for your podcast, like it's really great. Like speaking as a mom, like my kids are five and three, like we're in it in that like little kid toddler phase. And I've just like really appreciated a lot of the recent episodes that you've had. Even yesterday, I listened to the one, um, the the special, I think it was a bonus episode about eating disorders. I thought the thing that she said was very, very interesting. And even just talking on a different episode about like picky eating and potty training, just all of the things. (laughs) It's just like a quick, easy, practical, 
helpful podcast. So definitely if you are a parent or you interact with children, you have family, listen to this podcast. It's amazing. Mm, Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Truly. This was such a rich conversation. I just think that there's so much good stuff in here. We appreciate you coming and talking to us so much. Oh, well, I'm glad to help. And I'm so grateful for your ministry and your podcast. So thank thank you you for all you're doing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.